welcome to the new and improved Global Sport Matters <laughs> podcast. This is Ken Shropshire. I'm a professor at Arizona State University and the director of the Global Sport Institute, the CEO of the Global Sport Institute. And in this reboot, we have a, a new co-host, <laughs> um, the world-renowned <laughs> former New York Times columnist. Who? <laughs> <laughs> former. That's all I want to say, former. former. <laughs> pre- present, present columnist at large at ESPN's Undefeated. And he's also, the reason we are sitting here at, in Phoenix today, a writer in residence at the Global Sport Institute and the Cronkite School here at Arizona State University. Bill, hey. welcome to the show. Hey man, it's a strange new world, man. Yeah. It's good to uh good to be in the presence of a human being. <laughs> <laughs> we are for the, for those uh listening to this and I'm sure in the air when it, whenever we get this up, it will still be a thing. Bill and I are sitting 6 feet at- apart. My first human contact beyond my wife actually uh in in several days. And as you can tell, we we are here in the midst of the the COVID-19, the coronavirus where 180,000 people around the world have tested positive, more than 7,500 have died, uh, according to the World Health Organization. And, and again, probably by the time this broadcast, unfortunately, there'll be even more. Um, mm. Bill, we'll, we'll get to the sports part of this. And, re- and really what we want to do is connect this up, the importance of sport and how it fits with this whole issue but how important should sport be is kind of our oh, our yeah. concluding piece. And the one thing that's jumped out on us, we'll talk about in a moment, is is kind of some priority that appears to be happening in testing for professional athletes. But but Bill, before we get to that, and what what are you what are you thinking about all this in, in this moment? You know, probably the most frequent thing we said is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I do think, you know, um a week ago, today is uh well we we're last week I was in Kansas City. At the Big 12 tournament. Uh, but I was actually there to do a speaking engagement. Back, the back, next day. back when there was such a thing. Back, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and that's what's so bizarre about this is just like you go back to like last Wednesday and the first day of the tournaments, and it seems as if like day and night. And I was sitting at the uh, in Kansas City on Wednesday, and I'm with Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner. And the big decision then was well, we're going to let him play today, but tomorrow we're going to go to fanless arenas. The players will be there and some of their close friends and all that. And I said, well, I kind of couldn't wait to go to the next day to see what did that look like? But, you know, Ken, I mean, this conversation goes so many different ways. But the, the headline for me, fans have now become kind of irrelevant. They're sort of, we don't really need fans because he's saying that we've got corporate dollars. So the corporations are basically sponsoring all this stuff, which is why a lot of teams want to play so the fan has almost become obsolete. Well, well, think think about this, and 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 what we're going to do today. We've got a number of guests, kind of in this relaunch. We're we're going to bring in some instead of just talking ahead, some some real experts on these things. Right. But but in, in this issue, we've got a head coach, uh, Tracy Green from Harvard University, head tennis women's tennis coach. We got an athletic director, Ray Anderson, the athletic director at Arizona State University. We've got a student athlete. And, and that's something I want to zero in on, the impact on, the, on, on these folks. And the young man that we have coming in here, very interesting story, Grant, Grant Fogarty. So, so definitely stick around to, to hear that. And then we've got a scholar, Jules Boykoff, who's going to talk about sort of where you're, you're headed, the, the Olympics and the idea of do you even hold the Olympics 
or should you even think about holding them with with nobody? Yeah, just, nobody there. Right, right. right, right. As, so let, let me direct you to the NBA though, and yeah. let's think about that. So, so what was your thought when you know we were talking about all these empty arenas, and then the NBA says, "Never mind, we're canceling everything." When I heard that, it was Bowlesby. And he, when I came back, and, and I thought he was joking. I was waiting for the joke. Bob Bowlesby is the commissioner of the Big Twelve Conference. Oh, so Bowlesby just came. Yeah, we were talking. He, and he had news. to go out to do something, take a call. And he came back here, look at this. And he said, the NBA suspended the season. And I'm looking at him, waiting for him to just say, I was just kidding. And it was no joke. And uh, as we now know, that was begin. That was a domino. After that, after the NBA canceled its season, everything else, like the next day, the Big 12 said, well, n- nothing. We're just shutting down the entire tournament. And right, and one after the other, except, the Big East was kind of like the last one. They they were actually tipping off. You know what the first tournament was to cancel? Ivy League. Ivy League. That's right. Ivy League. That's and, right. And, it, and I don't know how much people will reflect on that, but were they that forward-thinking to say, we can't do this? And, and people were distressed. Yeah. Teams that thought they might get into the tournament, and the Ivies, you can you go in as a champion, yeah. but you know you could have won that championship and gone in, but you know you're not going to get selected as a as, as one of the, one of the sixty four. So. It really was striking that the Ivy started off and the NBA starts it off. And then, as you said, it's a big domino effect from there. And I texted Tommy Amaker, who was the head basketball coach at Harvard University, you know, because they had a chance to actually win. They'd beaten Yale twice, and the thing was going to be hosted at their place. And so I just texted him and said, you know, what do you what do you think about this? And of course he gave the line. He said, This is um his his text back to me was, Well, this is an unprecedented situation, and I fully support the university and the college's action to protect the health and well being of our students, including all of our student athletes. I trust and admire President uh, Bascal's leadership and vision for Harvard. He has always done what is in the best interest of our students and the Harvard community. And so I'm thinking, then, well, Okay, what, what are you going to say? You know, right, right. <laughs> you, you know, but then you're, you're right, Ken. I mean, that was really sort of prescient in that they were they were so far ahead of this, and and I guess I don't know how you feel, man. I guess it, when we look back on it, it's probably the right decision. You know, I, I'm just wondering now, and I guess we can get into this. How do we come back from this? I mean, can we g- come back to the arenas? You know, with, with all of us packed like sardines and and giving high fives and hugging. and I mean, can we go back to that? Well, all these experts are trying to talk us through that. But as I, as I go around these streets and nobody's out here, and it's very clear to me, as you said in the beginning, that nobody really knows what's going on. Right. And the idea that there's going to be a moment where somebody says, it's all okay, which gets to your em- empty arenas I- I- idea. Does it come back slowly? Does it come back as, as Silver has alluded? Uh, that potentially nobody's in the stands for a while. I, I do want to bring up one more NBA issue, though, and this is uh, the priority in, in testing. You know, the whole thing, what we've learned now, I mean, this whole testing thing is ironic, and we're not uh, epidemiologists, so please, please take no medical advice from from the two of us. Except, except your wife is a doctor, so you have more crazy than anybody in this building. <laughs> but the idea... You know, t- testing. I'm, I don't want to go down that road about the value of testing or not. But 
uh, the fact that the NBA players seem to be getting a little bit of priority, a lot of priority in terms of, of testing. So New York's mayor, Bill de Blasio, uh, said uh, when he found out that four Nets had tested positive, New York, uh, New Jersey, well, Brooklyn Nets, excuse me, how old am I? Brooklyn Nets had tested positive. Uh, he said, we wish them a speedy recovery. But with all due respect, an entire NBA team should not get tested for COVID-19 while there are critically ill patients waiting to be tested. Tests should not be for the wealthy, but for the sick. Yeah, well, and I was thinking about that. (sighs) Number one, I think that the difference between NBA players, you look at a guy like Kevin Durant, who really came from poverty. Uh, A guy like uh, LeBron James, who clearly was not one of the 1%. So I think that when you have a lot of these athletes, these black athletes, I think that they may be in a position to make sure that their communities or, or immediately families get access to testing. So I don't feel that bad about that. But we also, you and I both know, man, I mean, you look at wealth in America. You, know, you just drive around the Phoenix out area. I mean, there are a lot of wealthy people here. And you got to believe that these people have already gotten tests or getting tests, or taking private jets to go where they don't need tests. I mean, that's just the way it is. There's, there's always been this, what Bernie Sanders is talking about, this wealth inequality. And um, that's just the way it is. You it, know? it really is on big display. I mean, the idea that, that Tom Hanks and, and his wife uh, get tested in Australia, and they're able to, to, to go and, and uh, sequester themselves. Uh, until they recover. I mean, it's, it's very interesting to watch this, as you say, in a, in a full public view, the, the disparity that, that exists. And, and in this medical field, this is where we've known this has happened for years, communities that, that don't get different time, types of services in the health space. And it just happens to be, as you say, that these athletes that have been tested, the prominent athletes that have been tested are African-Americans. So, so there is kind of a, a, a unique visual. But in the end, it is the position they are in society and the wealth that they have that I think clearly allow them access that, that somebody on the street would not get. Right. Is that right or wrong? I mean, I guess, should they get tested? Because you, you're, you're dealing with a specific group of people who had been in contact with another group of people. You know, so I guess to some extent it makes sense. But you're right. The larger issue here is how can we make this as democratic as possible? You know, so you don't have the masses of people getting sick. Because, you know, if, if you have the mass of people getting sick, even if you're this sequestered wealthy bunch, it's eventually going to wash up on you. You know, if you've got all these people being infected. So, again, man, not to quote our most, our most uh, quoted phrase, I don't know. <laughs> you know well, that, what is, and the other thing that, that we all know about is trying to flatten the curve and, and the idea where does the curve need to be right. before we can start playing again? Where does the curve need to be before you even play before empty stadiums? If, if in fact, this problem of, of spreading the disease among athletes exists. Uh, well, you mean even, should athletes even be... Should athletes even ex- expose themselves well, in that but, way? But, but if you're going to test, if you're going to test athletes, if you're going to test the NHL players, the NBA players, and if, in other words, if, the, if, if in this community everybody has been tested, and everybody has come up negative, and they're allowed to play. Uh, and then you have these empty arenas, and only people who come in the arena, then I think this could actually become the norm, Ken. And again, that, for us, that's 
that, that idea is almost, you know, not preposterous, but, you know, you have these empty arenas. And now, if you're a fan, it's, like, it's probably going to turn into a combination of pay-per-view. Right. Where you can pay to see the label, whatever. You could pay for whatever. We, we talked to somebody yesterday who was a, a, a jazz musician. They were talking about some clubs, they've already been doing this, that rather than squeezing people in a club, you could pay a particular premium and see three different bands simulcast. You know, you'll be at, at your home or somewhere else. So uh, I think it gets back to the fact when these leagues, and Adam Silver just said it, and the Big 12 just said it, when they talk seriously about uh, fanless arenas, they're already throwing the fans under the bus and saying, listen, the show must go on and we're willing to go on without you because we've already got the big dollars that are needed to pay the franchises, to pay the salaries and all that. The fans are for the guys who sell the peanuts and the, and, and, and the peanuts and the popcorn and all that. <laughs> we don't need them either. So the new normal, you got an 80,000-seat stadium and you only have the, the Rams playing the Chargers in that stadium, there's a new, you know, five billion dollar, whatever that 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 big facility that's being built in L.A., getting ready to be previewed, but debuted, getting ready to host what was the Super Bowl. I mean, all these things potentially could change if you're going to bring back sport before you can bring the fans back, or if you decide that you're never going to bring bring the fan back. I mean, this this is the kind of thing that we need to to try to think our way through, and we'll we'll talk about some of this with with our guests as as we go through this along the way. I'm pleased to bring on our first guest. I'm a Philadelphia guy. She's a a former Philadelphia gal. Her family's still in Philadelphia. The women's tennis coach, the the second winningest coach in Harvard University history, a former professional player and a, a great collegiate player, Tracy Green. Tracy, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. So, Tracy, tell us about the initial conversation with with your team and, and what you had to tell them as this moment came for Harvard's women's tennis team. This was a really tough topic to talk about with our team. We have four seniors on our team who've been doing a great job for us and it really felt like a funeral. That's the word I use because um, it all happened so quickly. Uh, the first thing that happened for us was our spring break trip got canceled. So it was sort of like in our minds that something might happen in the future. So we kind of had like a, a quick blow come at us. So it wasn't like I was, um, you know, coming out of nowhere um, telling them the season was over. Uh, but they were super disappointed. Um, we We talk a lot in practice about controlling what we can control. And that's usually two things, our effort and our attitude. So if we approach this with the right attitude, we're going to be fine. And if we, you know, have the right effort in doing our part, like we're supposed to, right, and and move off campus at the right time and do all the things that we're supposed to do, um, we're going to be fine. And we're going to work out, work our way through this. Um, and we're, we're very fortunate that our president um, just made the right decision. He really put the community safety First, I'm curious, uh, there's so much to unpack here, but everybody now is floating the idea of fanless competition, fanless arenas. How, how would you feel about that, just as a competitor yourself or as a team? How would you feel about, let's say, having your team tested? I don't know if your team has been tested, but coming back and, and competing, but 
uh, just competing with, with no spectators? We, we haven't tested that idea out yet um, as a tennis team. I know that was one of the thoughts for a basketball team before their uh, Ivy League championship got canceled. Um, one of the teams we we're going to p- potentially play, um, they offered to play us uh, with no fans right before a season got canceled. So that was like an option for us. I didn't tell our team that. But it would be definitely, it definitely would be different for us. Tennis doesn't get the same amount of fans as, as other sports. Um, however, you know, we have a lot, of te- a lot of players on our team who kind of play toward the crowd and um, play off the crowd energy, et cetera. But I'm not quite sure, you know, how, how I feel about that. But obviously, if it, if it makes our season go smoother and, it, and it, it helps our community stay safe, I think it, it could be a good option. Tracy, you know, I guess for the seniors especially, those that had no contemplation of going on or, or trying to play professionally at the next level, this was a pretty abrupt ending. How did how did those individual conversations go with with any of the the four seniors? Where it, it ended uh, unceremoniously, basically, you didn't get to have senior day and all the sorts of things that you traditionally have. They were they were truly in shock. Uh, they couldn't believe it. It was all over. I mean, they literally had to move to move off of campus in four days when our season was ended, and go online in 10 days, basically, after they moved off campus. Um, so it was, they had to say goodbye to their friends. They had to clean out their locker. They didn't get to have senior day. So a lot of emotions were, were going on. I tried to basically, basically help them keep perspective mainly and just let them know that, you know, they did a great job. You know, obviously we, we love all of them. Um, and it was truly a, it's a tough time for me as a coach. I'd never been in a situation before where, you know, we 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 had no idea what was going to happen next. You know, every day was a totally different day. One day they were saying one thing, and next next day they were saying something else. Um, but but generally speaking, they were crushed. We had kids crying, and you know, some kids were just kind of freaked out. They were like ready to move like the next day. You know, you know, go home immediately. Uh, but it's just a just a, a really a time of uncertainty. And at this time, they're the cool thing is that they're all coming together as a team, and we're really trying to keep that communication line open. We had a, a team call yesterday on Zoom. It was, it was, it was hilarious because they're all like laughing and joking. So I think they're over it now, over the initial shock of having to leave all their friends and the team, of course. But I'm, I'm glad we're able to keep this connection going. You, you reminded me, I wish I had gotten some of that Zoom stock early on. I mean, every, I everybody's on Zoom now. I know. Yes, it <laughs> shot up a lot, a lot right. the last couple of days. Yeah, he's, I, I think the person has said, uh, the, the, whoever the CEO of Zoom is, He's giving Zoom, the executive version of Zoom, free. Uh, the idea of hopefully when this is over, we'll get more clients, more customers. Right. We go from mail to email, from, you know, uh, in-person meetings to, to Zoom meetings. And, and somebody somebody monetizes it. Well, and, and it's good. I mean, I, how, how are you keeping in touch, uh, Tracy? What sort of what, what, what have you been, how have you been getting through this? Uh, right now, we're still kind of getting our ducks in order as a, as a university. Um, everybody's kind of learning Zoom. Everybody's sort of, um, you know, packing up and packing out kind of thing, staying safe. Um, but me personally, just trying to just have faith and talk to family and friends. And um, I, mean, I don't really have a lot of room to be, you know, to be, uh, you know, to just to be too mentally down. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive person. And, and I know that he's got to take one day at a time and, and we'll work through this. Just one last thing uh, for me, at least. How, how do you, I know we're in the moment. 
how do you see, let's say, your sport going forward? I mean, we're, I know we're all trying to figure out what anything looks like, you know. Uh, but how, how do you see tennis going forward? You know, it's going to be interesting, you know, because our spring break trip got canceled. So we would have flown all the way across the, the country. And that was the first thing that got canceled, like a flight. We weren't allowed to fly. We had an amazing trip uh, schedule. We were going to play Stanford and St. Mary's, stuff with our alumni and, you know, go to Google, tour around and Tesla. So our kids were so excited. And now as a coach, I'm wondering, should I even schedule a long trip like that during our season? Because what if something like this happens again? Right. Um, and you're always thinking of contingency plans. So when our, our trip got canceled, um, I had a plan to drive down to uh, Virginia Beach um, and, and play ODU and a couple other schools down there. There were there were zero cases at that time down there. And one of our players had a, had a parents had like a, a nice uh, beach home that could host our whole team. So I had a, we had a whole plan uh, in place. Um but obviously our season got cut short, which was the right decision, of course. Um, but honestly, it, it, it makes me wonder how far we'll actually travel. Um, so I, I could see if things don't improve um, as far as just like just overall stability and safety, I could see that aspect maybe changing like in, in, in some people's mindsets. Um, but obviously we, we love to travel. We will play anybody. Um, the other side of it, I think, is... Um, like you said, the fans, I think, I mean, I, I, I could see, you know, half our season next year, like half of like our first semester, you know, if, if we end up starting next semester um, with no fans, I, I could actually see that happening. Mm. And, I, and I guess, Tracy, so, so in tennis, there, there is a chance to play, it, it kind of, tennis is kind of played in college throughout the year. So, so there is a chance for these seniors to have a, another opportunity to get out there. But we just don't know. So, 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 so it is the unknown. Yeah, it, it's unknown. I mean, they, they can get a fifth year due to the, uh, you know, the new NCA, you know, provision. So, so they they could technically transfer um, and go to another school and, and and play somewhere their their fifth year. All of our we have four seniors and three of them signed contracts to to work. They had amazing internships over the summer and they they were all ready to to work. Um, at least they were. Um, and then we had another senior who was planning on going to medical school. So. I'm not sure what she's going to do. Um, she's going to take, take a gap year first, she said, and maybe two gap years and then try to go to medical school. Um, so so we'll see. Uh, but Jen, I think it's a great option for, for tennis players. If they, they feel like they want to keep playing, you know, by all means, you know, keep going. Um, and again, yeah, we have a fall season, which is individual, and a spring season, which is the team. So we definitely are all year round. Have, have any of your players been tested? Uh, yes. So it was, it was pretty scary in the beginning. Even like before our spring break trip, we had a couple kids with like the common cold and it's, you know, you're just wondering like, whoa, wait a minute, should we get them, to, you know, what's, what's going on? And they're like, coach, I have a sore, you know, like I have a sore throat, you know. So it's, it's tricky. Um, so a couple of them I believe were, um, and everyone's okay. And, you know, we're just very grateful for the season we did have, you know, we were seven and two, um, Everybody was playing well. You know, that last match we played, I, I had an eerie feeling that it might be our last match. So a lot of our kids got to get in there and play, um, and we ended up winning. So that so that was nice. Well, Tracy, it's good to hear everybody is okay, at least uh, uh, physically at this point. I know it's going to be a, a difficult mental struggle, which I think it is for everybody. But but for, for kids, that the, the kids whose lives you really play an important part in, it, it's really going to be difficult to, to see if this thing they've invested their life in, 
if, if this is the the end more dramatically than they could have could have contemplated. But we, we really appreciate you taking the time with us. And if you don't mind, we'll we'll check back in with you as as this all goes on. Thank you. I appreciate. It. Thanks for having right. me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Bill, uh, that gives a little insight. And, and think about it. We're going to talk to folks from another kind of institution. I mean, here's you know Harvard, the the highest level academic institution. These kids with lots of opportunities. You I know, mean, kids have signed contracts for jobs and otherwise got tested. <laughs> got got tested, which which is interesting, right? I mean, and I wonder how much of that is. Uh, you're right there by Mass General. You've got you know, kind of Harvard Medical School and all that sort of stuff that that you're closely associated with. Yeah, I, I wonder what's happening at larger state institutions like Arizona State University. So we'll, so we'll be talking to to Ray Anderson about those issues when when he joins us. Yeah, even if you're at a place like Harvard and you're playing sports, I mean that's sort of a great equalizer. There's still heartbreak, and, and I'm sure that what they experienced the heartbreak we're seeing across the country, whether you're playing tennis or uh, we're going to talk to somebody, you know, a basketball player, just the idea that all of a sudden, just like that, competition has been taken away from you, which, you know, you said that uh, your last game at Stanford, you said you had a, it was really an emotional kind of thing, <laughs> which I didn't, I didn't really feel that way, but I thought that was very... But, uh, but do you remember that, I guess, you know, to, to our, our listeners, I mean, do you remember your last you know, little league game or your last college game, whatever your last sporting moment was, do, do you remember? When you were telling me your story about Stassi, I don't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, well, no, I don't even remember. I don't even remember uh, because we lost, I think. that's what I, we, we played Rutgers in some kind of bowl game something. I mean, my, my story is more, more complex than I get into now, but I got, I got thrown out the last game for fighting. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it, really? it was a, a whole buildup of, of frustrations that, that happened within me. And as I came to the sideline after having been thrown out, uh, the, the coach said to me, I mean, kind of right at you, he said, you know, if, if you were too tired, you could have just come out. You could have told me that you'd have to get thrown out, thrown out the game. <laughs> oh, but wow. I, got thrown, I got thrown out for, for really? fight. So, so, so maybe it sticks out in my head more. That's pretty dramatic. I mean, traumatic. I, and I'd never been thrown out high school or, or, or otherwise. But, but, you know, it was just a you know, guy hit me that wasn't, you know, in, in a wrong kind of way. And I just, just reacted. And I, think, and, and I know it's not something I would normally do, but I was so frustrated that I, you know, I didn't have the opportunities I thought I would have to play. I, you know, NFL was nowhere on the horizon. So um, I, I just, just got tossed who, out. Who did you play against? And did you guys win? Well, this, this is the more complex piece, <laughs> of, piece of it, too. So, uh, you know, for full disclosure, uh, this was not on Saturday. This was on Friday. So this was the junior varsity game where, okay, you can play in this one, but you can play on Saturday because you're a senior as well. Um, so, of course, getting thrown out of this. And it's against Cal. So it's mm-hmm. the, the, the little big game. Right. Uh, which, by the way, I have a great experience with this topic you're talking about, which was played before an empty 80,000-seat stadium, <laughs> oh, wow. basically. basically. <laughs> but, but in that moment, I mean, I think part of it, too, was, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know that I wanted to have my last game be on a Saturday where they may or may not have let me play. So I don't know if I was too smart for my own good. But you, you don't remember your last game at Morgan. Yeah, no. Now, 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 that you, now that you bring it up. I mean, yeah, I mean yours was a little, we little lost, further it, back. It, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was in 1922, <laughs> just after the war. No, but uh, now that you remember, yeah, I do remember it, and I just kind of forgot it and moved on. 
Yeah, it was against Rutgers. You know, we lost. And, uh, yeah, so. But you know it's your, you know, to, to know it's your last one as opposed to, like, these ladies at, at, at Harvard we were just talking about, they're not even sure if they're, if they're done. And they'll be able to recalibrate and say, okay, that, that was my last game. But to go in and have right. that baggage of that moment, I think, is, is something that, that, that's very different. Yeah, man, strange, uh, strange new world. Next up, we're going to speak with Ray Anderson. He's the vice president and director of athletics at Arizona State University. He has a long career in sport as a sports agent initially, then as the chief administrative officer of the Atlanta Falcons, and then an executive vice president with the National Football League before becoming the athletic director at Arizona State University. Ray Anderson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to join you. Hey, Ray. And, uh, Dr. Rohn. Hey, Bill. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Why are you? Are you essential personnel? Are you in? Are you in the building? I am in my uh, office. Uh, it's very few of us, and uh, we're trying to do all the things we need to do to comply. And we're doing a pretty good job of it. So we've got all the social distancing and a very skeletal crew. Everybody's working remotely, primarily. Hey, Ray. We've been talking to people about this situation, and a lot of what we're trying to look at is both what's going on now, but to think about sport in the future, but you're the, the head of a major athletic department. So you've seen the, the kind of the beginning and, and know where we are now. How did you advise your coaches to inform their players on this? Uh, we really followed the uh, lead in the instructions from the conference, but more importantly, our own internal ASU uh, and local authorities with regard to what our situation is. So we immediately uh, scheduled conference calls to keep everybody involved. Uh, we went to a Zoom format and essentially alerted the coaches to get a disciplined schedule of check-ins with uh, our student-athletes so that we could stay uh, in communication because, as you know, it's been a fluid situation and it seems every hour as it relates to how it impacts our students overall, but certainly our student-athletes, uh, it's been changing with a lot of issues and topics, many of which cause a lot of consternation to these young men and women who got their season just pulled out from under them with no real uh, advance notice. It's been quite chaotic at times and certainly sad at times, but we're dealing with it through really disciplined communication. Mm -hmm. What was it like in Vegas? Because I guess you did go to Vegas for a couple days, right, before they stopped the uh, Pac-12 tournament. What was that like? It was it was really a little surreal. I got there on uh, uh, Wednesday uh, late afternoon because we were scheduled to play Thursday. And by Wednesday uh, night, it was determined uh, that, you know, this thing is going to shut down. And so to uh, understand the gravity of it, uh, again, it was a fluid situation. You know, we had just gotten there. The first uh, afternoon games were played on Wednesday, and then literally by Wednesday afternoon, it was determined there were, were not going to be any additional games played at our tournament following announcements across the country that things were shutting down. And to uh, suddenly understand the reality and the gravity of it and then have to hustle around to make sure the, the coaches and student-athletes and support staff knew you put halts on everything uh, coming in and making preparations very quickly for everybody to 
get out. It was just strange, man. It was very strange. And the reactions from the student athletes and the staff and the fans who had already gathered was just shock. It was just numbness. It was very surreal, very strange. We were just talking to to Tracy Green, the uh, head tennis coach uh, for women at Harvard, and she emphasized that the key piece she was dealing with, I mean, a lot of things just like you, was how to convey the the uncertainty and and how do you, she didn't use these exact words, but how do you convey uncertainty but also convey uh, hope and optimism at the same time? I mean, so what, what kind of conversations have, have you had? And, and in, your, in your leadership role, what, what have you been trying to instill in, in your leaders to, to keep everybody engaged and optimistic? Uh, you need to uh, uh, talk hope, but you can't get to the point where you're talking false hope. So our communication to our uh, uh, student-athletes was, look, this is a very fluid situation. Very few of us have ever been through anything quite like this. And so you're going to have to just stay involved, stay uh, in communication, uh, but understand we don't have all the answers, but as soon as we have clear indications of what it might be, we're going to get it to you and help you think through this situation. The, the strangest part about of it is you could give no certainty. They right. ask questions, right. and it's right. like, I don't know. You know. One of the things we talked about is uh, in this type of crisis situation, you know, some of us who were here at 9-11 and some of us who were in the NFL, for instance, myself, during uh, Hurricane Katrina, it was the kind of situation where uh, a very traumatic event happens and there's some trepidation, uh, but you're pretty sure that you're probably not going to have an immediate follow-up hurricane or, or immediate follow-up uh, people kind of trying to bomb us. Uh, so you kind of had a, very frankly, even a more of a, a calmness about the way forward with this thing, you didn't know what was going to happen in the next day, let alone the next uh, uh, week. And you certainly didn't have any real confidence that something else wasn't going to happen like immediately that could throw you off yet again. It was weird. You know, you're talking about, you know, cause I remember nine 11 and uh, you know, in our business, in our industry, the sports industry, we deal with concrete things very well. So nine 11. Okay. There's a concrete, there's, Terrorist, but I remember going back to the stadium after a couple of weeks, and it was almost you almost felt like you were doing something courageous, you know, uh, heroic by going back to the stadium because there was a concrete foe or potential foe. You know, now you just check your bags, okay? You check your bags to see there's no explosives. I mean, even no matter how ridiculous it is, you know, there's something concrete there. There's something about a virus that's invisible and. And, and I, I guess my question, man, is how do you, you know, everybody's been talking about fanless stadiums. I mean, that's the, to me that keeps that keeps reverberating fanless arenas. How's that going to look for you guys? I mean, knowing what we know now that two weeks ago we're, we're side by side in arenas, buying concessions, hugging each other, coughing on each other, cheering, not really caring about that stuff. How do you now go back? to your stadium. Is there going to be more trepidation? Do you think that the way we're going to be going is basically stadiums without fans? No, I don't. Uh, I, I think sports is too important to think that we can do it without fans because it's the, it's the interaction. It's the camaraderie. It's being like in the arena uh, that really makes sports what it is. So 
Uh, I personally don't see us going back to uh, empty arenas. I don't see us going back to compete, uh, and certainly not in the college arenas, until it is safe for folks to gather back up uh, uh, safely uh, the way we were, uh, you know, two, three months ago. Uh, But I I don't see sports, uh, certainly not collegiate sports, uh, being able to go forward under any model that says we're going to play to empty arenas. I don't, I don't think uh, the participants nor the, uh, the general public would accept that. If we're not safe enough uh, and our uh, uh, venues aren't uh, secure and, uh, and, and uh, uh, sanitized enough whereby we can't regather as we did before, I don't see it happening. Well, but, you know, I mean, the thing that got me, I was out at uh, Kansas City, uh, during and and the thing that people were actually getting ready to do was do fanless tournaments. You know they, I mean, the Big Twelve or not, that Thursday they said we're gonna we're gonna go forward with playing games without fans. And you you even hear Adam Silver floating that. You know, and people were saying, well, you know, because of TV money, and you know, we could actually fans are kind of obsolete, not in the way you're saying that we, you know, they're they're a nice window dressing, but in terms of the finance, you know, the TV contracts really allows us to kind of go forward. We get the revenue, we get the income. So why couldn't we go forward without fans and maybe having fans buy subscriptions? You like pay-per-view. You want to see it, you know, <laughs> pipe in, you know, pay a subscription fee and, and uh, you know, watch from home or whatever. Yeah, well, I, I, I happen to believe that the in-stadium uh, real-life fan experience is the one that most entices people to really be involved in sports and you know, the professionals are different. Maybe they have the uh, TV money. Uh, but here at the college level, we depend on ticket sales and concessions and parking and people actually physically being on site. And certainly in our conference, we don't have the kind of TV revenues that certainly they have in the professional sports and even some of our other conferences whereby we could contemplate making it just on TV through subscriptions. Now, if the world changed and it became a place where that is all we were able to do, then maybe we make the adjustment. I'm hoping like, heck, we never have to get to that point. But I don't see us in our current collegiate model being able to go to a no-fan offering. It, it, it That's just almost scary for me as an athletic director to uh, contemplate. No, Ray, it would be a whole... You know, as we've been saying, brave new world for something like that to to occur. But it's definitely one of the possibilities they're talking about. And, Ray, I know all this is rapidly unfolding and there's there's some rules in place and there's some conjecture. But we've been talking some about the, the seniors and what's the impact on the seniors. And, and as, as far as you know and as you contemplate, uh, for those seniors who had their seasons cut short, what kinds of opportunities are there going to be? as we hope, if, if things do come back, for additional eligibility? What are the conversations that are going on and what's the reality right now? Yeah, the conversations are, conversations are multiple at multiple levels. you got them at the NCAA level. you got them at the conference levels. Uh, you have them at the institution level. You're having those conversations at the levels of the Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. How do you handle it at Division Three and Division Two? They made a pronouncement last week that, you know, they were going to get that year back, certainly the seniors, 
there's continues to be a lot of conversation at the D1 level, what ramifications could be in terms of uh, competitive issues, financial issues, et cetera. Uh, I think what the current focus is, is on just seniors, not juniors or sophomore or freshmen who may have been impacted by the fact that they didn't get their 2020 spring season under their belt. But how about the seniors who were in their last year? Uh, I think the focus and the first and foremost is going to be on those folks and figuring a way to give that year back. And that's what the struggle is going to be. It's just a matter of uh, how you do that, who is involved, which sports, are there differences uh, in terms of which sports maybe get uh, more relief than others. That's what makes this thing so uncertain, so bizarre. Uh, but those discussions are going on, Ken and Bill, uh, and my speculation is they'll try to figure out in the first instance just the seniors and how you deal with them uh, and with regard to the juniors and sophomores or freshmen who may have lost the 2020 season, kind of try to deal with them uh, in the next phase of consideration. No, that, 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 that's so interesting, Ray. Yeah, the seniors, those are the people we've thought about, I think, quite a bit, the impact on them. I hadn't really thought about the time that you you lose, you know, as a freshman, sophomore, or, or otherwise, by your season being cut short. You know, in some ways, in this modern era, that may be more of a, a load management thing. That, that, you, that if you if you got to shut, right, if you got to shut down, that might not be a bad thing. So. But you think of the sports, particularly particularly like baseball, college baseball, that has all the drafted uh, players or uh, soon to be drafted players consideration. Uh, so if you have someone who is uh, a sophomore, do they potentially get another year uh, or do they not? I mean, just think of the, 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 the challenges and all the questions that will come. Uh, and then they have to decide, well, do I uh, risk another year uh, in college or do I go ahead and, and, and turn pro? Uh, because I know I'm a drafted guy. I was drafted. I decided to come to school. Now, should I stay or should I go? Uh, and under what circumstances am I allowed to do that? You know, yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, there's a part of me in thinking about this as a sports journalist. I mean, you know, disappointment is part of life. <laughs> Things don't always turn out the way you think they're going to turn out. And sometimes, you know, there's 9-11, there's hurricane, there's all kinds of stuff that, is beyond your control and it's disappointment. So you're looking forward to this, you know, uh, final mar- March Madness and all that. Well, you know what? It's not going to happen. So you just kind of move on. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to be cold, but you, you've seen it, Ray. You've seen it throughout your career. And Ken, you've seen it. Sometimes disappointment is part of what you deal with. You know, it doesn't always turn out the way you scripted it. So you just kind of move on. We got the next class and, uh, Hopefully, it turns out better for them. <laughs> yeah, it's that's that's tough because when you know when we remind folks, you know, back in the eighties, we 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 pulled a whole Olympics team out of competition for political reasons, and most of those folks never got a chance to live their dream of going to the Olympics after uh, spending their whole life getting ready. Uh, it was unfortunately one of life's real harsh lessons, uh, and so that stuff kind of happens. Uh, the, the, the best quote that I've heard in the course of this, uh, and I don't know who, who said it, it was sent to me, but the quote was, our grandparents were called to war. We've been called to sit on the couch. 
We can do this. End of quote. <laughs> That's right. And, and once you go down, you know, Ray, once you go down that that road, you know, if you think as African-Americans and you think about what your father had to go through and your grandfather and, and your great grandfather, you tell them about this and say, you kidding me? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, that is the reality is that, uh, you know what? Uh, we've had to all of endure uh, some really harsh lessons, but notwithstanding that, you know, you just your your heart's broken for uh, certainly ours are for our student athletes and particularly our seniors because uh, we had several teams that were off to really strong starts in their spring, uh, and we frankly anticipated uh, that the, the spring sports, a number of them that have in the past would have repeated and gone to the postseason. Uh, you know, we had our wrestling team and our gymnastics team, and very frankly, our men's and women's basketball team poised to go to the postseason, and, you know, we thought we were going to make some noise, uh, but there are a whole bunch of those stories across the country, and your heart breaks for them, but it's a reality that a life lesson that these young men and women are learning and it's tough to see them go through it but that's life that is life uh what phrase actually that's what the people say (laughs) (laughs) but i had a question for you uh what about testing we've spoken to tracy green and she said a couple of her kids got tested because they were coughing or something they got uh what would you think about testing some of your kids would, would that help? Well, what we've done is uh, our, our doctors have, on a daily basis, briefed us uh, and, in turn, the coaches and others we've stayed in touch to try to brief uh, our student-athletes. If anyone is, is showing symptoms, we certainly will uh, advise. Uh, but to my knowledge, we have uh, had no uh, none of our student-athletes uh, uh, test positive or needed any attention. Uh, if the test becomes more readily available and we can get to it, we certainly would not hesitate if our doctor said, hey, let's go for it. I understand uh, I haven't been attuned to the news that much today because I've been in these meetings and these phone calls, but apparently someone says there's some notion out there that there may be a malaria uh, treatment that uh, is now being either tested or uh, inspiring some hope that it can uh, be a, a COVID-19 uh, antidote as well. So if if that is true and it becomes abundantly available, would we go test? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's all fluid, man. You may have more information by the time I get off this call uh, that it's changed. All we know is that there's a pissing match in New York between the mayor and the Nets because he, he started bringing classism in it. Well, how do, you know, how do they get to be tested? And others don't, you know, which is because of the whole special treatment of athletes. Uh, would you be offended by that? I mean, do you think there's something there that, you know, the Nets and the Lakers and the pro athletes get tested? Do I think there's uh, there's, there's something offensive? Hey, uh, if, if, if you have the financial wherewithal and you have a, a, uh, a, a, a body of persons who have maybe been more uh, exposed because they – they, they, they play all over the place. They play with a very international uh, roster. Uh, they're in and out of places where this stuff can, can, can spread because of crowds and folks in and out of locker rooms and arenas. So I don't begrudge them that if you have the financial wherewithal to get testing, go get tested. Uh, you know, that's my view on it. If, if you're not able to and, uh, you know, we can come up with 
a system or funding where everybody can get tested if that's necessary, then so be it. But that's real life, man, in my view. I just have one last question. This is more of a press question. Because one of the things that was introduced was keeping the press out of the locker rooms. They were doing it in baseball and everything. How, how would you feel about that policy? In other words, you know, there's a certain routine uh, now with the press and the interaction with athletes. Do you see that changing, and do you think it should change? Would you be in favor of that changing where the, our access as media changes because of this? Oh, well, I, I think it's going to change as the the landscape of uh, how the virus is transmitted. So uh, the same thing. We wanted any strangers that we didn't have a comfort level about. We don't know where they've been, who they've interacted with, where uh, they've been hanging out so that uh, I think in the first instance, I think even uh, the Pac-12 and most of the conferences went to, hey, look, anybody who is not an essential into this locker room should not be in here because we don't know how this stuff is spread and we don't know where they've been. Uh, and so I think eventually, Bill, yes, that will change as we get more comfort with regard to uh, how this thing is is uh, uh, transmitted, and if we get control of, of the transmission uh, and able to know that folks, in fact, have been tested or, or, or not asymmetric, whatever the word is, uh, you don't have the symptoms, uh, then I think you get more comfort. But no disrespect to the media or anyone else, uh, but if you weren't essential, we weren't having you around uh, uh, our locker rooms, our, our players, our staff, our doctors either. Especially you, Roden, right as the coach should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Ray, we know you got a lot of work going on over there. Well, instead of fooling around with these two guys, we, we, we really appreciate you taking taking the time on this, and and, and we'll definitely be in touch uh, as this moves forward. Stay safe, take care of those those young people as you've been doing. Thank you. Thank you, and, and thank you, guys. Bye, bye. Take care. Hey, Bill, that's uh, another perspective. So he's got the bigger purview than Tracy had looking at at the whole thing. And he did have a pretty good mix of the optimism. The stadiums are going to be full. We are going to do this again to the reality, but we can't (laughs) overpromise. That's that's right. We'd like to have you all back. Oh, man. Yeah, the media thing. Of course, my takeaway, you know, the whole media We've been waiting for. We've been looking for the opening. Well, in any you guys. I was uh, watching the Trump press conference of du jour, and he he made a joke about, well, there's a way to keep the press healthier. We can have fewer and fewer in the room. So so he's going to throw out all but three people as three favorites. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh my god. You know the thing with all these things, Ken. Just like with, you know, with nine eleven, because we are so terrified, we gave up a lot of privacy. Tap our phones. You know. See, like with everything, what are you going to give up? And that's always, to me, um, without going down that rabbit hole, just sort of a, a underlying issue. And what are you going to give up when you're now everybody's scared? That that's another show. Let's, yeah, yeah. We, but, don't but, but, down, <laughs> we don't have to go down. We don't have to go down that road. So we've talked a lot about uh, events that have been canceled. I mean, you think about everything from. You know, they're worried about the horses, so they canceled the Kentucky Derby, the professional levels canceled. Everything should be canceled in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> well, any of these international hubs, at least, right. any, any place where there are a, a lot of people that come in. You know, the one event that sits out there that 
again, as of this recording, has has not been canceled. And and our next guest may give us some insight as to when it might be or if it if there is a might to it. Um, the Olympic Games, hmm. the, the Tokyo wow. Olympics, the 2020 Olympics. And a great professor colleague of mine at Pacific University hmm. uh, wrote a wonderful piece in the New York Times contemplating this. He's a political science professor and also a pretty good athlete in his own right, so I understand. Professor Jules Boykoff. Jules, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's my great honor. Thank you. Hey, Jules, thanks so much also for hanging in there with us and coming out because it's, it's important. And I know you kind of rattle. Kind of rattled a lot of people, right? It seems like it. It got a little bit of pushback. But one thing that's been interesting to me about the folks that have been pushing back on what I wrote is pretty much every one of them to a T is milking the Olympic cow with both hands, meaning <laughs> they're they're getting their livelihood out of the Olympics. And so, you know, I have to take all their, their criticism and even a few insults, I suppose, along the way with a grain of salt. Oh, okay, uh, Professor Boykoff, let's give the right qualifiers, though. This is not your first... Uh, Encounter with the Olympic Games, though, you, you've looked at the Olympics overall for some time, previous books and otherwise. So, so before we talk about the cancellation or the need to cancel, how does the Olympics sit as a sporting event these days anyway? Yeah, so indeed, I've been studying the Olympics intensively for more than a decade. You know, my fourth book on the topic on the politics and the economics is coming out next month. And, you know, before that, as you alluded to, I, I played soccer at a, at a high level. I represented the U.S. Olympic team in international competition. So I suppose you could say that I've been thinking about the Olympics as a greater force in this world going all the way back until I was like 18, 19. I was doing that. So um, in terms of the Olympics, what, what's going on is I would say it's in a bit of a slow motion crisis. Over the last decade or so, we've seen so much more critical thinking around the impacts that the Olympics has on a community that decides to host it, from the militarization of the public sphere to chronic overspending, which pretty much comes along with with every Olympics, to the displacement and uh, gentrification factors that are almost always in play. And so... With this slow motion crisis, fewer and fewer cities are keen to host the Olympic Games. And that was all in parallel with the doping crisis that's also been striking the Olympics. So all that stuff was before this coronavirus situation cropped up and what's happening that led me to write this particular essay for the New York Times. Right, Jules, so you're sitting minding your own business. You've done all this work on the Olympics uh, as it stood anyway. And, and there have been some conversations about Tokyo being problematic with the, the weather and, and, and that sort of thing. But as soon as the coronavirus erupted in Asia, this did become an issue. Why did you feel so strongly that cancellation is the right move? Yeah, well, I guess I just felt like amid a pandemic, it would just be incredibly irresponsible for the Olympics to proceed. You know, I mean, you know, when you wait, 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 like wait, Jules, when you phrase it like that, that does sound, I think if you say, say anything in the midst of a pandemic, should you, I mean, I don't think you should do anything, right. <laughs> but, but please go, go ahead. Go to the beach. Go to the beach. Right. Let's go to Daytona beach, shall we? Um, uh, so it's basically impossible to do it right when there's a pandemic going on. I mean, basically, you'd have people coming from around the world. You'd create just a massive, potentially dangerous Petri dish full of germs that just is super problematic. I mean, if we just think about the New York Times did a little study 
that found that the 15 countries that right now have the most coronavirus cases, they represented about 36% of the athletes at the last summer games. So we're talking about seriously infected countries that will be sending around a third or so of the athletes to Tokyo. I mean, this is just unconscionable. You know, the Olympics often talk about how the Olympics are bigger than sport and now that something is that is clearly and obviously bigger than sport comes along, they're kind of changing their tune and sort of saying, well, actually, wait, sport is actually the most important thing, and we need to press ahead with it here for these Olympics. And, you know, I was just talking to numerous epidemiologists, many scientists who are telling me all the exact same thing. They're saying if you wanted to spread this disease, the Olympics would be sort of like the perfect way to do it. You bring a lot of people together and then you they exchange germs and so on. And then you ship them back out all over the world. It's like the ideal way to transmit a disease. So I guess that's kind of at the core of why I was arguing, okay, let's slow our roll a second. Think about what's the bigger issue here and, you know, cancel these Olympic Games. Like when you say, send them back with Dr. King's uh, I Have a Dream. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to, you know, take, and take the germs with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I love the Olympics. It's one of my favorite things to cover. But not only are you right, but I have to agree with you on this point, and I feel bad. I feel I, I'm teaching a course out here in Arizona State, and there are a couple students who are looking forward to covering uh, the Olympics. Uh, I have two things. You know, there's been this talk now about um, uh, fanless arenas. So, you know, could you have a fanless Olympics? You know, in other words, you know that you've got a specific group of people that you can test. You can test athletes. Uh, you know, the ones who who pass come, the ones who don't go. Could you could you have a fanless Olympics? And then I'd like to get what you think about just the larger thought of as we contemplate sports coming back, can we just have fanless, period? Yeah, that's a really interesting option that I'm sure you would think that the International Olympic Committee would be considering. Just a sort of side note before I address the fanless thing, what's what's been fascinating to me is that the International Olympic Committee has been stating openly that they're not even having serious conversations that involve the word postponement or cancellation. Like they're not talking about it at all. So it doesn't exactly inspire a lot of faith in their ability to see what's right in front of them. But the idea of, uh, of a fanless Olympics is interesting on its surface. I wonder how you would control the other people that come along with athletes and that travel there. And then the folks that are running, you know, working on the airplanes, you know, the, the attendants that are giving you the food and all that, like all them would, all, everyone would need to be um, tested along the way. And then all the airport workers and then the people that drove the bus. And, you know, so it, it kind of just, because the Olympics are such a behemoth that has so many moving parts, even trying to do a fanless Olympics that really uh, strips it down to just basically the athletes and medics and coaches and, and IOC staff and local Tokyo organizing staff still requires a fairly enormous amount of testing. You know, the other thing that fanless sports kind of raises is the atmosphere around the Olympics. I mean, that's kind of what makes it magical from a sports perspective is the the atmosphere and the crowd is, is a huge part of that. You know, I've, I've been to a few Olympics in my day, you know, having as a scholar and, and that's what makes it fun when you're cheering for the, your team. And so that would be 
totally gone. And I wonder how that would sort of affect the broadcasting of it and the spirit of everything. So, and, and what it would be like to be an athlete in that kind of scenario. Um, I can say one funny story. When I was first starting my professional soccer career, it was an indoor soccer league that had just started. And we were playing in Los Angeles, same place that the Lakers play, except the difference was there was about 500 people in the entire <laughs> arena, all right? And it felt weird. It was haunting. There were more popcorn vendors than there were fans for the, for the home team. And, you know, there, it is a little bit of an ineffable quality to having the fans there. So I think as a sort of last measure, it should be considered. I mean, I think all options should be on the table for consideration right now. Um, but I wonder how that would sort of slice into the experience or, you know, even from the perspective of the IOC, slice into the Olympic brand a little bit. Hey, hey, Jules, you know, I've been an amateur epidemiologist today uh, talking about this topic, <laughs> but you've raised such an important issue that the Olympics are different from any other sporting event and that the athletes are in a village. I mean, so 20,000 are sitting in, as you say, this Petri dish together. So even if somebody tested negatively, as they were coming in, you know, the, the, whatever the incubation period is, you know, maybe seven days in they got it and then it's, it spread. So it's very difficult, at least in my opinion, the Olympics more so than these other sports we're talking about to, to think about even bringing these people together. So your, your point, you know, goes beyond just the idea of, uh, you know, fans and, and otherwise it, it's unique that the players that the athletes are there for the extended period of time. And I, I think that's one of the, the later recognized, Items that's been happening here with the NBA players being being tested positive and otherwise. So, 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 Jules, what do you suggest then? Cancel and wait another four years, or cancel and wait till the coast is clear? Uh, what, what kind of <laughs> what kind of uh, thing, or, or you may not have gotten there yet? But what 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 kinds of thinking should the ILC be doing since they're not even contemplating uh, the possibility? Well, I will just say that this is incredibly hard on athletes. I mean, you mentioned students. It's hard on them who are maybe going to be able to cover this at, from a journalism perspective. And same goes for athletes. I mean, they're throwing their whole lives and sometimes going into debt as well to try to realize their Olympic dreams. And so I feel really bad. Many of them actually have reached out to me after this essay came out uh, to talk to me about their own experiences. And I, I feel terrible for them. And I feel like, especially from lesser sports, lesser known sports rather, it's their one chance to sort of maybe get some some sponsorships that would help cover the cost that they plunged into making it. Uh, maybe it's their chance to win a medal and therefore, you know, you get paid if you win a medal as well from the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And it's a chance to recoup funds and actually just follow your dream as well. And so I feel, I feel bad for them. In terms of what should happen going forward, I think that the epidemiologists that we all have been following so carefully should be in the driver's seat here. And the World Health Organization, which is working with the International Olympic Committee, it should be said, as a partner, needs to be at the wheel. I spoke with an epidemiologist who's based in Basel, Switzerland, and she shared with me a study that at the time was forthcoming. Now it's actually come out in Swiss Medical Weekly that states that the disease won't reach its peak until winter of 2020-21. So that's something to consider in terms of postponement. If that those projections from this peer review study are correct, we have a bit of a long haul in front of us. So postponing the Olympics is even a tricky proposition. And, you know, in the, the essay that I wrote that was just, you know, published yesterday, I did 
play out some of the complications with postponement, sort of that wait and see attitude that, that you were mentioning, you know, from, from the perspective of broadcasters that are, you might start moving in, in the, into a crowded sports calendar where you're competing for eyeballs sometimes with yourself if you're NBC because of your football programming. Um, we also should point out, I think, that the Tokyo budget is already way overboard. So initially it was supposed to be $7.3 billion, but a recent audit from the Japanese government itself found it was more like $26 billion. And so postponement adds a cost to an already bloated budget for things like paying the folks that are working on Tokyo 2020, keeping the venues up to snuff, keeping the athletes trained and so on. And, you know, then there's also the, the matter of who's already qualified for the Olympics. At this point in the neighborhood of 57% of the athletes for Tokyo 2020 have qualified. So about half of them have qualified. If we post, post, if we postpone the games, does that mean that we, we basically have to have these athletes re-qualify for the Olympics? I mean, that would be super hard on an athlete who feel, felt the incredible ecstatic feeling of qualifying. And then all of a sudden you're told, you know what? The Olympics are built on you qualifying relatively close to the Olympic Games. And so, you know, we, we need you to re-qualify for it. So there's just so many parts that make postponement extraordinarily complicated that uh, I, I feel like that's why I argued in the essay that I think cancellation is probably just the fairest thing to do for athletes. Unless you want to push it all the way back to 2022 and do it like you used to do it, which is have two Olympics, winter and summer, in the same year until the 1990s, I suppose you could possibly do that. But that's going to be tough on athletes, too. You know, just, just a couple of things. <laughs> Number one, the IOC is probably one of the most corrupt organizations on the face of the earth. So the fact that they're not even considering, you know, cancellation, you can't put any ethical stock at this point at anything they're saying because they're thinking primarily dollars and cents. And and then the, the other thing, too, we, we just got off the phone with Ray Anderson, and we remember the 1980 games canceled. And, and we were saying, I mean, as a journalist, I mean, you, you've seen disappointment. I mean, disappointment is a fact of life. Sometimes things just don't work out. You, you, you know, you're looking forward to something and there's a, a there's 9-11 or there's a disaster. It just sometimes it just doesn't work out and you move on. The 1980 folks who I know probably never gotten over that, you know, but you, you make the best of it and you move on. So, that, you know, that's just the thing. And then in terms of the crowd, I'm thinking of Kierkegaard's uh, essay, you know, the crowd, and the crowd is the untruth. I mean, I I think this whole idea of crowds and your crowd think and, you know, you look at, like, uh, the rallies for POTUS 45, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes the crowd really is overstated. So, I, again, I'm with you. I think that we do probably need to pull the plug on this and stop dancing around it. And, I, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's, a lot of people are going to be disappointed. But, you can't, like you said, the whole Petri this thing is real. <laughs> you know, it, you either believe it or you don't. You, you either think this is a hoax or you think it's real. You know, and if you think it's real, you got to pull the plug. So what, what do you think about that? Well, I agree with everything you said. I think you raised a really good point about, you know, life does come with disappointment. I, I hate to have to say that to athletes who I say, like I say, have been training their whole lives. And it has stuck with folks who had that experience around the boycotts uh, of 1980 and then from the Russian perspective, 84. 
And you know, like people like Anita de France, who then ended up joining the IOC, even when you talk to Ms. de France today, you, or you see her interviewed, she talks about the disappointment and how that was profoundly affected her life course. But hey, she landed on her feet. She ended up in the International Olympic Committee. And, you know, you said it, uh, the, the International Olympic Committee is a, is a privileged sliver of the global 1%. They started off way back in the 1890s with a high percentage of people that were counts and dukes. And it's pretty striking to me that even today, around 10% of the organization, the members in the organization are either a duke, a sheikh, a count of some sort. So, I mean, this is an aristocracy run amok. And, you know, the one thing about this coronavirus thing that they might be appreciating the IOC is that it's distracted from the fact that there are serious, incredible allegations that Tokyo only got the Olympics through bribery in the first place. But no one's really talking about that right now because obviously the coronavirus situation is on the front burner. Of course. Jules, it it is ironic. It's, It's founded in the modern era by Baron Pierre de Coubertin. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the, the Olympics are a, a, a special, you know, and people refer to as madam and, and all these sorts of, of fancy titles even today. You know, when we started talking about this, we were talking about all the events that have been canceled. And I know the, the NFL is still on the horizon. They haven't taken the formal move yet. Is there any other sporting enterprise of, of any note that you know of as you've looked at this, that it, that it still has not pulled the plug? Or is the, the Olympic Games, are they the, the Lone Ranger out there? Right. I mean, I think maybe like the Russian Hockey League might be moving ahead after a tiny break. That's the only thing that I can Things think like of. That. I mean, yeah. all the other leagues have done the responsible thing at this point in the face of a global pandemic and shut her down. <laughs> you threw that line in there again. <laughs> What's the right thing to do in the face of a global pandemic? Play. In the Russian Hockey League, play. <laughs> well, there is all you know <laughs> but there is all that old uh you know the uh, commissioner mountain kennesaw landis letter to franklin roosevelt and the kind of the exchange between the two of them about what should you do in these times and people need the games as a diversion and this and that but this is so unique as we've talked about now and i i agree with both of you guys i've said it outright that the cancellation uh does seem to be the right thing and i obviously agree i mean that's what i wrote but i also think that it might appear to be sort of ominous and horrific to have to cancel the Olympics. But in reality, I view it as a remarkable act of global solidarity and leadership to, in the face of giving up uh, what you believe in, you know, the Olympic Games, you're willing to do that for the greater good, the global health. And so I think if we just sort of reframe things, if and the IOC could turn out being, you know, acting actually in solidarity with the rest of the world's health, And so I would obviously encourage them to think about those things more in those terms, that to cancel is actually a a positive thing for society. The only problem is that, and this is another podcast, but, you know, money has become the highest value of our society, which is unfortunate because so many, I mean, these decisions are being driven by by money. You know, like, why else would the IOC be saying, well, let's press on. Doesn't look that bad to us, <laughs> you know. Uh, so again, that's another issue. But you can't take the IOC's discussions on face value because it's not based on ethics and morality. Only thing I'd like to say is just sports. They talk about the diversion and all that. And you know, can I don't know how you feel, Matt? We don't at this point. We don't need diversions anymore. <laughs> we, we do not need diversions. We got a big election coming. Right. We need to focus. We need to focus. <laughs> and maybe this is sort of God's way of saying, "You guys need to focus. <laughs> you need you need to get people to register to vote. Focus on the election. 
And then after the election, then we go back to diversion. But right now, we need to be focused. Mm -hmm. I'm with you there. I mean, another thing that's interesting is as everything shuts down, emissions also are going down across the planet. And so we're actually doing well for fighting climate change with the pandemic. So maybe it is a divine intervention here to, since politicians aren't leading the way, God said, you know what, I got this. All right, we've, we found a positive note to uh, in this conversation <laughs> on. <laughs> so, so we've been talking to Jules Boykoff, a professor at Pacific University, focused on this issue of the Olympic Games and whether or not they should be held. Thank you very much, Jules. Thank you, it's my great honor. Thanks for having me. Well, Bill, you know, he did raise something that's very interesting. And I think about this, you know, I, I was involved in the Olympics, worked at the 84 games and that sort of thing. And I, I don't know it by memory now, but the Olympic Charter mm-hmm. um, and, and part of what the Olympic Charter uh, sets forth is bringing the nations of the world together. And again, if the IOC wanted to be you know, kind of do the politically impactful thing, it could be to bring everybody together and say, look, in this moment, this is what we need to do. As opposed to, you know, checking all the accounting, which which and this is why I give uh, Adam Silver great credit. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he checked all the accounting when he pulled the plug on, on the NBA. I I mean, he, so. he checked. He checked lives. He yeah. said, you know, we're going to lose some lives if we don't do this. Let, let's just shut it down where the IOC seems to be going down. A, they're, a different they're, path. Right, they're looking at the ledger line. So how could we do this? You know, and they're, right now they're probably the trying. How do we have our cake and eat it, too? And it's impossible. I think you raise a great point just in terms of global citizenship and global responsibility. But I'm telling you, we cannot count on the IOC. That's wait for that to happen. <laughs> As my uncle used to say, I got news for you. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Well, I'm currently involved in some uh, United States Olympic Committee committees, so I'm not going to be as hateful as you. But, yes, there are. There are well, I'm also. a journalist. I can, I can follow the truth where it leads. <laughs> yeah. no, exactly, exactly. So we've talked to uh, a lot of different people on this topic. We have not yet spoken with a student athlete, and, and that's that's where we're going to go next. And and we've alluded to a lot, and we've heard other people's opinions on how this is impacting student athletes. And as we'll get into it, it's, it's not so much uh, the the guy or the that was going to go to the the NFL or the woman that's going to the WNBA. It really is that that kid. Not necessarily that it was a JV player like myself, <laughs> but it really is that kid that had that little bit of a shot and then everything was was shut down. So so we're fortunate to have as our next guest a young man who is on the Arizona State University men's basketball team, the varsity team, Grant Fogarty. Um, he will come on and talk about his final game, how he's processing all, and, and in some sense, the abruptness of it all. Grant, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? Hey, Grant, uh, wait, wait, you you, wait, 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 we can't do this with you calling me sir through, through the show. <laughs> so we've got Bill Roden here, too. No, oh, no, yeah, that's okay. Him. That's okay. No, but thanks for doing this, and let's just get underway. Yeah, Grant, so this is Bill Roden, Grant. Uh, just curious, so how, how have you been passing the time? And I guess we probably should start with just your level of disappointment. If you could describe for us what it was like from the time you guys left campus to go to Vegas for the tournament, just sort of take us through that and what what you know what what it was like. Yeah, definitely. Um, we left last Tuesday to play for the Pac-12 tournament. First game was scheduled for Thursday, and obviously leaving for the tournament, we had no no thought that it would be canceled or anything would be happening. So Thursday morning, we were actually about to head to shoot around that morning um, when we heard that the Pac-12 tournament had been canceled. 
So our game wouldn't happen that night. So we had the, the rest of the day in Vegas that day. And then about one o'clock in the afternoon is when we heard about the NCAA tournament getting canceled as well. So um, yeah, really disappointing day for obviously everybody on the team. We had a team meeting that night about 6 p.m. Um, just to go over everything. And it was pretty emotional just thinking about our season ending that way. Obviously not going out the way we wanted to and not getting the closure on the season that we wanted to and not finishing out the postseason is definitely a, a rough way to finish it out. Obviously for myself as a senior and the, the two other seniors we had on the team, Rob Edwards and Mickey Mitchell, it was a, a tough way for us to finish our, our career as a Sun Devil, definitely. Grant, how did your, your personal season, how, how had it gone up, up until that point? What opportunities had you had and, and what were you looking forward to? Yeah, we had actually finished third in the Pac-12 during the regular season which gave us a first round bye in the Pac-12 tournament. And um, yeah, put us in a strong position to, I think, compete for a Pac-12 championship in in the Pac-12 tournament. So we had set ourselves up pretty well. We uh, had a pretty slow start to the season. Um, we were 12 and eight at one point, had a couple rough losses. But uh, after that 12 and eight start, we rattled off seven in a row in February and then uh, put ourselves in a position to get in that large bid in the NCAA tournament. So I think we had done everything we could to obviously set ourselves up for success in the postseason with both the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. So yeah, it was another strong season for us. I mean, would have been our third NCAA tournament in a row, which would have been the first time that's been done here at ASU, I think since like 1960. So mm. we were hoping to, to make some history, but uh, obviously didn't have the chance to. So it was, it was tough. How have you guys been dealing with the disappointment. Um, I know that's a general question, but I know in um, some of our previous conversations, we talked about potential athletes uh, not going to the Olympics and having to deal with disappointment. Uh, we've talked about a lot of, you know, disappointment is part of life, but it's easy for us to say. Uh, how have you and some of your teammates been dealing with the disappointment? How have you been talking it through? Uh, have you been relying on parents or good friends? I mean, how have you been dealing with this? Just going back to Thursday when we first heard the news, I was actually with two other seniors on the team, uh, like I said, Rob Edwards and Mickey Mitchell. And so being with them at the time when we kind of heard the news that our season just ended just like that, it was pretty tough and pretty emotional. And then we uh, had that team meeting about 6 p.m. on Thursday night. And that was a tough time, but I think it was good just for us to all be together and kind of remember um, the season that we had together and kind of talk with each other and discuss, obviously, the disappointment. But but also um, how successful we were this year. And then and then obviously going into this week, guys have been trying to get home, get to their families. We got teammates from all over the country, all over the world. So it's been obviously kind of crazy just keeping up with everyone, trying to check on everyone, see how everyone's doing. But it's been good to just talk to everyone um, and kind of still still have that connection with with our teammates just to, to, to get each other through it. And I think that's what's kind of been best for me and um, probably most important for some of my teammates as well. Do you guys have any regular conversations set up or anything? Any uh, Zoom conferences? We've been hearing about a lot, a lot of those. But is the team doing anything uh, structured or is it just pretty much you guys are reaching out as, as needed? Well, when we first got back actually from Vegas, the two nights following, we had all gotten together just to kind of hang out and spend some time together. Um, I think that was both Friday and Saturday night. So nobody was heading home yet. So we uh, had some time to kind of sit down and just hang out with each other a few more times before all the craziness, I think, started happening. And then, of course, everybody's been kind of keeping up in our group chat just with travel plans, what guys are doing for the rest of the semester, whether they're going home, whether they're staying. But yeah, I mean, 
half the guys are home, half the guys are still here in uh, Tempe. So it's been difficult to keep up with, but uh, yeah, we're all still connected through group chats, through um, social media and everything. So we, we stay in touch pretty frequently about everything. How would you feel, Grant? Well, well I have two questions. One is when you heard that the NBA season had been suspended, what, what, did, what, was, your, what was your first thought? We actually heard that news Wednesday night. We were at dinner as a team. And that's when we heard the news about obviously the whole Jazz Thunder game and the NBA uh, suspending their season. So obviously disappointed as a basketball fan, but then we all started thinking about what's this mean for our season? What's this mean for obviously the Pac-12 tournament and then going forward for the NCAA tournament? So I think when we kind of heard that news, we all kind of knew it meant something um, going forward for our season as well. So it was, uh, yeah, tough news to take. And then we were just hoping that we would be able to finish out our season because the NCAA had announced earlier that day, I believe, that they were going to try to do fanless games for March Madness. So we were hoping that that would still happen. But obviously with with how quickly everything moved, that wasn't able to happen either. Hey, hey Grant, I just had one last question on my end. And, and that's about eligibility and future opportunities and, and how much you guys are talking about that. Not necessarily you in, individually, although you may have the desire to to get, get some more games in. What kind of conversation are, are the, the athletes having about that? Even even kids that are, you know, freshmen, sophomore, wondering if, if there's going to be an extension of, of their time. Are you guys talking about that kind of thing? Yeah, we have discussed it. Obviously, I would love to have another season, but I mean, I don't think that's really on the table. But I mean, I've loved my last four years here and everything. But obviously, yeah, we've discussed it. And I don't think that it's on the table really for our team, for the winter athletes, since we played out the majority of our season. But I think the spring, the spring sports, I think they've announced that they they are going to get an extra year of eligibility, but they're still kind of figuring out what that looks like. We actually had a Zoom call with the entire athletic department and student athletes from all different sports. So it was a couple hundred people on there discussing, obviously, everything that's going on for the student athletes. But then also that question of eligibility and having another year to play. So obviously, spring sports, spring seniors have a lot of questions in that area. And I think from what I heard that the NCAA and the compliance office are still kind of figuring out the logistics on that and what that would look like. So I don't think they have much figured out yet, but I think those spring athletes definitely deserve at least another year of eligibility and the ability to come back and uh, finish out their careers or get another season under their belt for sure. Hey, Grant, last question for me. How do you feel uh, about this idea that's been floated about fanless arenas, fanless stadiums? Uh, the Big 12 was actually going to, a number of conferences were actually seriously consider, considering doing that to to play games without fans. Uh, and, I, and and more I think about it, I'm thinking that could be the way things are going. Uh, how do you feel about, about that? Yeah, obviously, I think that's probably the way things are heading for most sports right now. I think I read something this morning, actually, that the NBA, when they start kind of reintegrating into their season, that's how it would probably look with those fanless games. And then they would slowly kind of, integrate more and more fans into the arenas. But I think it's what's necessary right now. Obviously, with everything that's going on, we can't have those huge groups of people together. I mean, that you're talking about 19, 20,000 people together at one time for a sporting event. So it's definitely something to think about. But obviously, it changes the dynamic of the game, of sports in general. I mean, playing home games is different because you don't have fans there. You you kind of lose that that home court, home field advantage yeah, it changes the dynamic of the game and uh, I think just sports in general. But I think that's the way it's heading for at least the near future. And then hopefully we can get back to a state of normalcy where there's no restrictions or no limits on people going to games and sporting events. So hopefully that happens in the near future. But obviously, 
that's pretty optimistic and uh, it's not where things are heading, at least for, for the time being, for sure. I think I got news for you. I think this is a new normal. But you play, but you you play two uh, K, right? NBA two K. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and 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 to me, that's almost the model, you know, you because everybody's into two K, and you've got they've got Doris Burke, and I mean, it's a made up world with fans and broadcasters and all that. I think it may be more realistic than you think. Do you think if you just extrapolate it? That could be the new norm, too. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that will be the new norm for a little while with the fanless arenas and not having people at those games. So, I mean, I think that's if that's what's needed to obviously get the NBA season done, get other sports seasons finished out. Obviously, a lot of seasons had to suspend or stop right in the middle of their seasons. So I'm hoping that those teams and those sports can finish out their seasons and do whatever it takes to obviously stay safe and stay um, cautious and the leagues can do the right thing to let the teams and the leagues um, finish out. Well, Grant, we appreciate this. We know there's a lot going on uh, and even more going on in your head that you probably haven't even uh, fully reconciled yet. But, you know, I can assure you as a former student athlete and and Bill sitting sitting here with us the same 50 years ago, is that right? (laughs) Long time ago, it, it, you know, it, 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 it never leaves you, but but you are able to move forward and, and uh, find what's next in life. So thanks, Grant. We appreciate the time. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, good luck. All right. Thank you. So, Bill, you, you keep talking about the, the new uh, norm, the new norm, the new norm. 2K. <laughs> so let's, you know, as we, as we get ready to close out, let's let's think about that a little bit. And, you know, in, in one of these breaks, you and I were talking about, again, Years ago, roller derby was a completely <laughs> right. uh, complete studio sport. The same players would change jerseys and be on different teams, but the same studio. And the idea of these these esports, the the idea, at least the original version, are people watching people play video games before they evolved into the big bigger stadium format of it. So you know, as much as I kind of hesitate when you say that's going to be the new normal, it is something that's worked. In the past, to some extent, and it is something that, that's worked presently. It's just a matter of can you convert what we have now to this new format? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, that's not our world. We grew up completely different. But you know, I see the kids. You know, my rec- recreation program I run on Saturdays. You know, addicted to two K, and it's amazing. And you've seen it. They've got Madden, all this, and you've got the fans. You've got the athletes look like real, and you have the noise, and you've got the commentators. It's like a, a like a made-up world. So remember, you, you're probably almost as old as me. The NBA would have, remember, they would have these one-on-one games. They'd have, like Kareem would be playing Bob Lanier, uh, Honey Archibald, and, and, and each week it progressed, and it was in a studio. It was, like, really captivating. You had Bob Lanier versus, like, like I said, Kareem, and then you would have Tiny Archibald versus Earl Monroe. And it'd be one-on-one. So you could probably have five-on-five games with the appropriate, you know, uh, accoutrements and the sound and the drama. And beyond that, you could have your reality goggles on. You could probably bet. And they could actually—now, this is where the integrity of the game is going to play. You could almost now start playing around with the results. (laughs) Yeah, though this game, we're going to have triple overtime. Mm. (laughs) So, again— and sponsors buy into this stuff. And it is, it's, to me, you and I, we didn't grow up in that, but imagine two generations from now, this will be all they know. And then when you show them, no, there was a time when you said, what? They were, you guys were actually in the, they were 
there were fans there? You you guys you would let people in the arenas and watch this stuff. <laughs> did well. you have did you have did you get did disinfected? <laughs> so, so I don't know. So so what we have learned, uh, uh, I I don't know. Uh, we've learned there, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty, and I think we can also bet that league team college executives are maybe on Zoom right now talking to each other about. What what's going to be next, right. and, and how do we handle this? Well, we've already given the road. My, we, they, <laughs> they listen to this. <laughs> they know this is the way this thing is going. So, Bill, I, I want to thank you for joining today in the kind of this new venture. The Global Sport Institute this year is studying sport in the body, and when we chose that as a topic, little did we know mm. that the, the body part we'd be most concerned about was right. the virus. Little right. little did we know that was going to be what was impacting sport in so much. We were we were concerned about body image and body shaming and transgender issues and that sort of thing. There's not a bigger issue in sport or in the world than, than what we're confronting right now. That's right. You guys were way ahead of the curve. Well, believe me, in all the preliminary documentation, the, the virus is not mentioned at all. So mm. uh, uh, who, who, who knew? Yeah, who, who knew? Who knew and who knows? Thanks to all of you for joining us today and look forward to future podcasts on topics of the day. We want to thank Central Sound PBS Studio for allowing us to invade their space in this trying time and for the engineering help in getting us through this. If you want to reach me, uh, you can reach me at, at Ken Shropshire at Ken Shropshire or you can reach me through the Institute and that's at Global Sport ASU. Also want to thank uh, Crisal Valencia, who's been an integral in, in pulling this together. And we could not have done this without our producer, Aaron Mathewson. So, Bill, how, how can people reach you? What, during these times? <laughs> Can't. Find, find, find you. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> I might take it. <laughs> no, you can reach me at, uh, at WC Roden. That's at W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. We just want to validate that old people are allowed to have Twitter, too. So thanks once again, everybody, for joining us. Mm -hmm.